You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 150, Slaves and Masters, part one. And coming to you from the soon-to-be-snowed-over suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the bomb-cycloned suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John New Furniture Matola. But not yet. <laughs> but not yet. Is that like your well, Esquire? <laughs> After your name, well, but you not were yet. Just commenting on like uh, all the posters that are still in the background on the floor, but that's... Uh, You'd be like, new furniture. It doesn't look like anything happened to this room. Yeah, put those posters but up. They, they will be. There is there, there going to be a couch where those posters are? Um, not quite. Where I am is right now um, I'm facing the window, as in my desk is set up and the window is directly in front of me. Previously, the window was to my right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went out today and I bought um, and is being delivered this week is a new couch for this room and a... Um, kind of a, a media center or like, you know, a bookshelf or whatever for all my crap that, you know, you previously saw that was some of was in those heavy duty boxes. Um, so this desk may move again, um, but it is one step closer to um, this room being a reality of comfort. The couch was as soon as I walked in, I'm like, ah, it's beautiful. It was gray. It was all squishy close to the floor. I laid down on it. It was like laying on a cloud and I'm like, this is my couch. Fantastic. How much? And she's like, please sign these papers. <laughs> well, you got a giant uh, cycl- bomb cyclone over the weekend and now it's our turn. <laughs> we're a few days later here and we're going to, we're getting up. We're supposed to get about 14 inches tonight. So uh, yes, it was pretty, pretty wild over here. It was, um, you know what? It was mostly, mostly the wind. Um, power got knocked out for about mm, half hour. So I figured that we were lucky because one of the things that we're talking about the most was the high winds and, yeah. um, you know, and that definitely like the, <laughs> the, it was when you got mad at me for getting my, my mail that day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We had a text going back and forth. Yeah, we had a, a, a text chain going back and forth and uh, the uh, like my, so my bell rang at like 1030 and I'm like, who the hell is ringing my bell in this fucking blizzard? So I <laughs> pop my head out the window and I see the U.S. Postal Service like running away from my front door to his car and then, you know, to the mail truck and driving off. And so I'm like, all right, well, he was running from the door, so he must have dropped a package. So. You know, I, I just opened the front door and like just opening the front door and leaning out was like way too much for me. I'm like, my God, I can't even imagine driving in this. Never mind. I just like leaned out and like had to fish around because of this asshole left, <laughs> left it like in the snow. He didn't even put it in the front door. It was behind the door. So I had to dig under it. I'm like, I ain't stepping out here. I wasn't wearing any <laughs> shoes. But and then you got mad because you're like, you 
you made it sound like I called up and complained to like the postal <laughs> supervisor in my town. It's like, you mean to tell me not deliver my package today? And it's like, I could have waited, but you know. I need that, but tell them what was in the package. And so was my my Blizzard of Oz varsity ringer t-shirt. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Had to be delivered into, <laughs> le- into de- deadly circumstances out there. <laughs> Had to be delivered. It was, the, it was like the least essential thing to be delivered. And I'm just like, hey, you know, but I get to wear it around the house while I was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really needed this to in. be able. I wanted to wear this while I watched <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, basically the, the comfy came off. This went on. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, just like every other thing here in New England. Over over by the end of the day, next day, everything was back to normal semi, although like today there were people still snow plowing and shoveling, like yeah. moving snow out of the way. The piles are immense around here Ugh. of snow. Terrible. So when are you getting when are you getting hit? Uh, well, it just it started raining a little later this afternoon and then and that is going to and my my so my neighbor keeps texting me <laughs> like, are you are you going out of your mind? Because he's just like. We're in this text group of basically all dads of the kids. Our kids are all in school together and we're mm-hmm. and he, but he's also like lives basically his house is right behind mine. So we're all texting and like about the snow, the snow. And he's like, guys, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like what snow? And I'm like, are you crazy? That's like 14 inches of snow coming. He's like, I don't see what you guys are seeing. And like, what is going on here? Like we're all on the same page except for you. And then he sets text, sends a text message or, or like a screenshot rather of his like dark sky app. And is like, look, it just says light rain. I was like, well, yeah, it says light rain on the top. But then when you go down hour by hour, see the point where it turns to 32 degrees? That's not going to be rain anymore. <laughs> That's going <laughs> to probably be snow. And he's just like, I don't, I don't know what planet he's on, but he just he, he, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to snow. And we're all like, guys, we're pretty much planning on the kids being out of school tomorrow. So we'll see what happens. Mm. And we'll have to figure out when to record part two, because if my kids are home, that would complicate things. But anyway, um, mm. hey. We're at you. We're coming at you here. We're ready to go. We're ready to talk about a, a long, uh, a long asked for era in Deep Purple uh, podcast history. But first, if you want to support the show, if you receive value day in from day in and day out or or every week when you're doing your commute or however you listen to the show, if you receive value from that. You can give us a little value back. One way is by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Another is by bring, buying some merch at our Etsy store. And then you can also become a patron on PayPal or on Patreon, which where most people are, and support the show for as little as $1 a month. You can help keep us in good things, keep us uh, being able to buy CDs like this one right here, but I already had it. Hey-o. But <laughs> if it's an album that we don't have, of course, put it into the archives. Uh, um, but yeah, those are ways you can really support the show. And um, uh, hey, uh, speaking of patrons, hey yo We have a new patron. And you're going to like this. Coming to us straight from Norway. Not to be outdone. Runar Simonsen. Thank you so much for joining us at the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier. We really appreciate appreciate it. I saw that NOK30 come through, that, and I was like, the first time that came through with our, our previous Norwegian patron, I was like, what does this mean? I thought that was the name, and then I looked it up. I'm like, or is I using it as a new Nokia phone or something? And then I realized, oh, that's uh, the Norwegian currency. So thank you so much. We appreciate oh. you joining. Uh, Runar has this to say. I started listening to your show late last summer, went on Spotify and wondered if there was a Deep Purple podcast 
And boy, am I glad you called it the Deep Purple Podcast, or else I don't know if I would have found you guys so easily. Never listened to a podcast before you guys, so you're my first. So see that being uncreative and naming the podcast has its advantages. <laughs> right. Um, and our first podcast. So thank you. We're, we're, we're glad to uh, bring you into the podcasting world with our nonsense. Um, love the show. Nice to hear you discuss music, musicians, events surrounding the different bands and recordings and the interviews with the musicians. I got into Deep Purple through my parents who are both in their late 50s. I'm 32. My dad had made a mixed CD to my mom that she played in the car with songs from Mark 2, 3, and 5. There you go. We're getting into five today. It's like a little. What, what happened to four? I mean, well, he didn't didn't make the mixtape. I guess I don't know. You have to you have to ask oh, Brunar's dad, or or oh, he'll man. have to um, write in and let us know. Mark um, four denied. Well, you know, sometimes you just have like that one album in your collection that for whatever reason, like you have all the stuff by this band that this is just black hole for no good reason. It might have been one of those mm-hmm. situations, like just didn't have that album. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, he said it was about 99-2000 that I heard John Lord's intro to Knocking at Your Back Door from Nobody's Perfect, and from that moment, I was hooked. I went through every CD and LP that my parents owned. In rock, uh, this I did not listen to. Fireball, Machine Head, Burn, Stormbringer, Perfect Strangers, House of Blue Light, Slaves of Masters, Battle Rages on Perpendicular and Abandoned, uh, a couple of compilations, and Nobody's Perfect. By the time I was 15, I owned every studio album that they'd released on CD. I bought In Rock that summer and heard Speed King, Child in Time, Black at Night uh, from the 24-karat Purple compilation record before. But when I played In Rock in its entirety for the first time, I mean, come on, what a record. The intensity of the band, Gillen's singing, John and Richie's solos. Uh, Bad production or not, it's an epic and groundbreaking record. Played it that record on repeat the whole summer. Also, can't wait until you get into the Morrison Lord era of the band Killer Albums. So thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, those those fine words. Um, much, much appreciated. And while we're talking about, um, you know, while we're talking about ways to, cel- uh, to celebrate and recognize the show. Ooh. That's right. The Flexitone is working overtime because we have... Another review on Apple pod- Podcast. This one comes from, uh, well, well, you know, let me put a stipulation there. Um, this comes from Hank the Tank, our, our famed patron. But um, so Hank uh, tried to leave it on Apple, but couldn't. He said he was having all these problems that wouldn't leave it. So he said, screw it. I'm just going to write you the five-star review I would have written. So maybe Hank will be able to figure out what his problems are and be able to get this uh, actually on Apple Podcasts. Um, so uh, he says, hey, I wanted to leave a five star, but I can't connect to Apple, blah, blah, blah. So if this counts, I'll do it here. I really enjoy your show and I want to hear that flexitone or whatever the name is. So you know what? Since you asked for it, we'll give you one little bonus run of the of the flexitone there. Um, so he said, uh, it's actually the only podcast besides pop off that I listen to. Um, old as fuck purple fan. So I enjoy you guys talking about what I believe is the best band ever. Therefore, five stars, of course. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Uh, P.S. I started to play the drums because of Ian Pace. So. Wow. So thank you, Hank. We appreciate that. And you know what? There's probably patrons out there. I bet you amongst your ranks who have not given us a review on Apple Podcasts, this is your opportunity to get some flexitone time and uh, on the show. Give us a give us a review. You've made the decision to, to, to donate money to the show. Give us a review, too. We, we, we would really appreciate it. Um, okay, so 
speaking of our patrons, coming in at the executive level tier, we have the 2112 Long Live Rock and Roll tier, Richard Fusey at the 10 pound tier, Dr. Jill Brees at the turn up to $11 tier. We have Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and Mickelstein. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, we have Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Gerald Kelly, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. Thank you so much. To all of you for your generous support of the podcast, we really appreciate it. If you're looking for more like-minded podcasts, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com or deepdivepodnet on Twitter, where all of us are kind of joined together. So that's our intro. Now we get into the meat of it. And if you are new to the show, uh, when we do Deep Purple albums, we were just talking before the show about this, we kind of have been splitting them more recently into two episodes because as we get into the CD era, the albums start getting a little longer and it's kind of the, the balance. And with Deep Purple, there, there tends to be a lot of recorded history to cover. So in the interest of not giving you, say, like a three and a half hour episode, <laughs> be a little more generous mm-hmm. on you, maybe give you an hour, two hour and a half episodes or even maybe too close to two hour episodes. Who knows where the conversation will go? So uh, if you're really eager to get into the song, we got a little history to cover artwork personnel all that sort of stuff and then we're going to get into we'll do the first four songs today and the remaining five on our next episode so i've spoken long enough john slaves and masters what is your background with this album what's your history with it if any i have a little history with it uh it, what was uh came out what year again 90 1990 yeah 90 yeah so i would say that i was probably still um, no, 90 might've been a little early. I don't know if I was a purple fan yet. If I wasn't, then I was still definitely a new purple fan, but that was definitely the new purple album at the time or the most recent one. Um, so knowing that I did pick it up when it became available. Like, I don't think I got it when it first came out, but definitely within the first year or two of it coming out and just knowing that it was a weird lineup because I was like, wow, it's like basically all of Mark two, but not Ian Gillen. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like thrown off by that. Uh, didn't know why, you know? Um, and honestly, like the, the music was, uh, a lot, um, I guess less memorable, you know, uh, compared to what I was used to. Cause, uh, you know, of course I had, listened, you know, by the time I got in this, I had known about the band's history anyway. So I think the music seemed kind of tame mm-hmm. in comparison. Um, you know, the production, the songs, uh, you know, really didn't know who JLT was. So I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Um, <laughs> you know, just nobody that I really recognize. So I like a lot of the songs on here are very like not memorable to me. Like it probably, you probably have to play it and jog my memory. There are a couple that I do really like, but Um, overall, like the album, you know, doesn't have any kind of, didn't leave any kind of impression on me because I never really gave it too much of a chance. Um, but you know, that being said, the couple of songs that I do like, I have a feeling that, you know, I'm going to like them because I know that there was a lot of stuff that seemed to be in the style of classic purple. I remember the production being pretty decent and love JLT now. So, Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, the, you know, the rest of Mark II pretty much in their prime um, at that point. Um, so, 
Yeah, that's that's about that's about it. So not really, you know, as we get later and later into the proper purple albums, I'm not going to have a lot to say. Yeah, that's um, that's fair. I, I seem to remember about this one. My main memory of it was that it was. Um, it would have been newly released. So when when we were going to the record mm-hmm. stores, you'd have the classic purple stuff. Uh, you know, all the all the early Mark II stuff. You'd have this and Nobody's Perfect were kind of flipping around because they were had come out in, in you know the recent years, and uh, that was pretty much it. So I remember seeing the album cover a bunch, and not maybe learning. I can't remember when later I learned, went down, figured out. Oh, it's like you said, it was Mark II with Jolyn Turner, and kind of my impression of Jolyn Turner was you know oh he's kind of like a rent a singer, jumps around to various things. I don't think I really knew even knew he was in Rainbow at that point. Um, over over the more recent years, I think we've uh, gotten uh, grown a huge appreciation for JLT and uh, for the work in Rainbow. So I think my main thing, you know, I always kind of get upset when people are like. Come Taste the Band is a good album. It's just not a Deep Purple album, which is like something that John Lord said once and everyone just wants to parrot so they can sound smart, you know, and I don't, um, you know, saying it's not a Deep Purple album is ridiculous because it's a Deep Purple album, but um, I, I can understand why it has a slightly different style to it and, and sound because they were they were going down that direction. But to me, this one always stood out as it just, it really didn't sound like a Deep Purple album. I, I didn't deny it like some people do. Like, no, that is not a Deep Purple album. It, I, I can't accept it. Uh, but to me, it just sounded like, a, like a, such a departure that I was... Um, kind of quick to write it off. And I don't think I ever really gave it a super fair chance. I think at the time there were a lot of haters who, you know, people were just upset because Ian Gillen wasn't in the band the same way people would be upset when Blackmore left. Right. Um, Right. So uh, yeah, people that just couldn't get over it and didn't, couldn't accept it or, or, you know, fair enough, didn't like rainbow and thought this was too close to rainbow. Um, Yeah. I I had heard a lot of like, you know, that, um, mm, it's deep rainbow, you know, like, <laughs> yes. all right, I get it. Um, but also like something else that you said is, is like, I hear a lot of people, you know, as you say, parroting that phrase, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a good album, but it's not a good insert band name here album. You yeah. know, it's like, I, I feel that's kind of like almost a cop out. Sometimes a lot of people, say that on the kiss podcasts I listen to about music from the elder. Oh, it's a good album. It's just not a good kiss album. Well, I mean, it has the friggin' kiss logo on the cover, so it's a kiss album. So <laughs> shut up. You it know? seems to have like, a lot of members of kiss playing on it. <laughs> <laughs> like every member of kiss was a, and almost I mean, I every get, member of kiss was involved in that. Album. <laughs> At least the current I mean, members. <laughs> but I mean, I get what people mean by that. It's yeah, just yeah. like, they're thinking from, from a historical perspective, like what, a band, a band's output usually is, this is not typical of it. But, you know, as I had recently said about, you know, Kiss on um, our friend Scott Haskins podcast. Yes, um, check it out. Uh, my my Dress to Kill episode, listen to it, um, was that... Um, you know, there are, you know, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of bands that have varying, uh, you know, uh, their musical history has a lot of varying styles in it. And I think that that's one of the things that made Kiss interesting. And that's one of the reasons I love Deep Purple is because you go from all the different marks and it's just, you know, obviously the hard rock theme is running through it, but it's like, you're getting late sixties, like, uh, hard rock, prog rock, funk rock, 
Um, you know, uh, just in the seventies alone, sixties and seventies, you know, the, uh, concerto, I mean, there's so much to choose from, you know, it's not just this one style that you keep listening to. I mean, that's why we've probably discussed before that, uh, you know, when Metallica changed up their sound from being straight ahead thrash to doing something different, everybody was whining, but I mean, it's like creates variety in the catalog and it's, you know, the growth of, uh, musicians as well, you know, or if, if musicians change, you know, like, uh, you, you know, your point being is, is that, you know, and come taste the band. It's not a deep purple. Of course, you know, of course it doesn't sound like deep purple from a few years ago. Half the people in it were different, <laughs> you <Yep>. know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's different musical styles, the way they play, the gear they use, like their songwriting skills, backgrounds, everything. And especially so. at that time, the amount of tech that had technology had evolved was, was at a absolutely light speed from 1968 to 1975, as we've talked about before, just how fast technology changed the things they were able to do both recording wise and the gear they were using was just crazy. Yeah. But I mean, I think with me, I think what I tend to see in like the deep purple circles these days are a lot more people having appreciation for this and for JLT era rainbow, not as quick to write it off in the fan base uh, than I recall definitely at the time and, and, later and i think part of it is the fact given 32 years since this album came out to reflect on it and think about it and look at it for what it what it is and what it was uh definitely is is a huge part of that and um yeah so i i get it like it might not be what you were looking for but at the same time you're talking about like take, take, you just use kiss as an example so of course i'll uh, do the obligatory Beatles reference, but if you look at the first Beatles album and the last Beatles album, they were separated by eight years, the entire duration of, and look at Deep Purple, look at, look at Shades of Deep Purple and Come Taste the Band. If you played those back to back, I mean, of course, with the Beatles, it was the same lineup, but with these band, this band, there's two players in common that were on all of those albums, and you would not, not knowing those bands, have any idea that it was the same band eight years apart. Mm-hmm. Go to go to uh, the Beatles, the same thing. It's the same four guys, same songwriters, same producer, same everything. But if you listen to that first album and that last album, you would not guess that that's even the same band because it's so much changed and they progressed. So why Mm -hmm. not continue changing? Do do you want, like we've talked about before, you want to just release Machine Head again and again and again, or do you want a band to explore? And you know, sometimes it's not going to maybe hit the mark for you, but I mean, I, I personally, I'd, I'd rather have CD Purple release some albums I'm not as crazy about than just trying desperately to recreate Machine Head uh, 20 times because that would get really boring for them yeah. as well, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, that's that's a you know, that's all great points. So, I mean, you know, that now that brings us to this this album and this lineup, which I mean, now to me, like I said, makes sense, because at the time I was like, well, who's this? dude singing, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, look at, he's pretty much wor- already worked with everybody in that band. I mean, most of it was, right. is rainbow <laughs> anyways, like 80s yeah, it's, rainbow. It's three fifths rainbow and four fifths mark two. So, right. Uh, so, I mean, you know, from uh, coming at it from that perspective, maybe like being in that spot, you know, I could try and, you know, listen to or appreciate the songs a little bit more. Um, yeah, ab- no. absolutely. And I yeah, I think that that's it. Uh, I, to me, I, I really 
to me, I remember at the time thinking, JLT, that's the Yingwei, I'm sorry, Yingwei, Mal, Malmsteen guy. Um, <laughs> you know, sorry, I don't I don't worship at the altar of Yingwei like everybody else does. Um, mm. But uh, to me, he was like the hot... There was like there was a style of singer at that time that was like the singer you get on a guitar player's album, and I kind of yep. I, I kind mm-hmm. of unfairly associated him with that, not knowing. Oh, to yeah, me, it was me like too. clearly great singer, amazing. But I was just like he's just a, he's the singer they got for that album, not really maybe being familiar with his backstory at all. And you know the you'll see that on numerous uh, other guitar guitar hero albums where it says like, we need a singer. Boom. Here's our guy. Let's hit record. Doesn't matter. We singing. don't care about the lyrics. Just listen to my solos. And that's what I was kind of, and that's unfair to Yngwie's whole thing because I, I'm not, I never really dove too deep into his stuff. So. Right. Which I mean, he did that, but unbeknownst to us, he also yeah. did and was going to do about a bajillion other things. And he's, uh, awesome vocalist. So and he'd been releasing albums for ten years. By the time he did the, you know, whatever was it, Odyssey that he's on. I uh, I don't know. Or is it more? Is it more than one? I don't know. I know. I think I'm pretty sure he's on Odyssey at least. But hey, this isn't. Yeah. The, this isn't the. This isn't Ingve cast. This is the Deep Purple podcast. So, <laughs> Melms Pod. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Uh, so, so some history. So we're getting into a point now where there's a lot. Oh, the books are, are coming hard and heavy. So these are all the books that I referenced uh, for this episode. So we've got wow. A Heart Life by Colin Hart, uh, The Complete Deep Purple by Mike Heatley, uh, Ian Gillen, Child in Time, A Black Knight by, uh, by Jerry Bloom. We got uh, Deep Purple Slaves and Masters by Laura Shenton, Smoke on the Water by Dave Thompson. Uh, I don't know how the Mickey Moody book got in there, but I did not look at that one. <laughs> uh, it's like Mickey Moody was I on did, Slaves I, and Masters? I poured through the book, but I just wasn't finding a lot of good information about this album. <laughs> Mickey, I'm, I'm glad to hear about this, but come on, get to Slaves and Masters already. He talks um, a lot about David Coverdale, but I don't know. What's a... <laughs> um, so anyway, the hit, brief history of it, and I've got a million bullet points here, so I might jump around a little bit, but from what I've gathered from from every book touches on it a little bit, but here's kind of the story. Gillen says House of Blue Light uh, comes out, uh, that Blackmore was happy with the guitar parts, um, that everyone says Ian wasn't... Um, Ian says that wasn't good enough for him. Like Blackmore wanted, you know, wanted more out of this, out of the coming album. Uh, so Richie broke, uh, does a famous thing. He throws the guitar up, he catches it, breaks a finger on the tour. They had to postpone the tour. And that's when Roger and Ian say, Hey, let's go record accidentally on purpose, which we covered a whatever a few, uh, 10 episodes ago, whenever that was. So Gillen said when the tour resumed that the spark was like totally gone. Um, and so this is all at this point, we're all coming from, Child in Time here, Gillen's biography. Um, he said uh, they had an odd route through their European tour, and he was at a press conference, and Ian was asked about it, and and why why were they taking this weird route through Europe? And he said because Bruce Payne is an asshole, <laughs> and he said he kind of he kind of regretted it after the fact, you know, kind of uh, tr- trashing the boss. Um, I don't know if he, you know he might have made, just met it as a joke, but um, he also oh. could have maybe he was very you know pissed off that they were taking this weird route. Who knows? Um, so things, funny. things at this point start getting very tense between Gillen and Blackmore. Um, 
or I won't say start getting, maybe continue, they continue where they picked up. Um, and it all came to a head when Richie bursts into Ian's room, and you might have heard this story before. He's holding a plate of spaghetti, and it's funny because Ian's book's the only one that mentions this, and there's a great interview, oh, I should have found it for the episode, where they're talking about, um, they, they're interviewing Richie about it, and he's telling the story, and he's telling the story about, you know, how he's like, he's like, I think I could fight Ian. I think he, he'd probably win though. Cause he's big, he's a big guy. And you know, he's just saying this funny <laughs> thing, but so Gillen breaks in, he's got this plate of spaghetti. Um, I'm sorry, Richie Burson with the plate of spaghetti and says it, it, somebody had poured ketchup all over this, all over his plate of spaghetti and he's all pissed about it. Um, uh, and then they had this big tension together. He thought it was Gillen and Gillen. He said, did you do this? And Gillen said, said before he could answer Blackmore takes it. And he said like a big, like a custard pie in the movie is just <laughs> puts the spaghetti in Ian Gillen's face, <laughs> which, you know, kind of always makes me think of, you know, the Guns N' Roses album spaghetti incident. Every time I hear that, yeah. I think about this spaghetti incident. Um, uh, so Gillen claims that at this point Blackmore started dancing and holding up his fists like like a 20 style boxer like <laughs> like he's gonna fight um, and, and um, oh, I can't uh, and, and, and from Ian's standpoint he's saying Blackmore's being like let's go come on come on and um, Rich and Gillen says I don't want to hit you Richie and he says he turned around he went to the bathroom and he, and he cried he said he cried out of frustration he said I quit he made it in his mind that he was quitting the band um he had already started working now on- i feel now i feel bad <laughs> no, i was laughing and i'm like well that's all that, that that story took an emotional turn now i feel bad i know it's well the funny part of like of, of blackmore doing like oh well, yeah that I'll, was I'll hilarious ears, you know <laughs> and then, <laughs> then gillen crying in the bathroom is quite a uh <laughs> oh. the comedy is kind of over at that point um, so Ian had already started working with a side project doing his Garth Rocket and the Moonshiners and he, and the, and the band, I guess, had the sense that he wasn't giving everything he had to Deep Purple. Um, so that's from Gillen's standpoint. Uh, the band heads decides that he doesn't actually quit at this point. He just kind of says he quits to himself, but it was uh, more of a premonition than anything. So he, they go to Stowe, Vermont again. Ian really wanted to record at a proper recording studio. He's like, I don't want to do these things in Vermont anymore. I want to go to a real recording studio. And the band's like, nah, we don't want to really do that. We want to go to Stowe again. He's like, okay. And he's like, I really want to change up the set list. We've been playing the same set list since Made in Japan, essentially. And everyone's like, nah, we want to stick with that. So Gillen's frustrated about that. So they go up to Stowe, Vermont. Um, they set up the sessions and then Ian starts drinking really heavily. Um, he said, uh, Blackmore and his girlfriend were having a fight and Gillen like jumps in, like bar- bursts in there wearing like completely naked. Um, I think you said he was wearing like something like on it. Cause like, Gillen's always naked. He was like wearing something on his feet or something like bags on his feet or something ridiculous. And he like, he fell onto the couch and like knocked over like a glass shelf and it like shattered all over the place and just was like <laughs> a complete disaster. <laughs> So, um, oh, that's funny. So from that, that standpoint, uh, the tensions grew and, uh, uh, from it was, that point, the tensions grew. Yes. So at this point they started at that point. Yeah. At that point, the tensions maybe hit a, hit a peak and they even went to the, they went into start doing some recording without Ian Gillen with, when he wasn't around. And then eventually they just decided they actually fired him from the band like they said we, we can't go on like this and I guess the rest of the band decided that you know it was going to be kind of team they're going to put all their all their cards into Richie or all their cards into Ian they decided to go with Richie based on 
<laughs> maybe on his his drinking at the time. Um, mm. So that's kind of Gillen's side of it. Um, in Darker Than Blue, uh, number 38, um, the Deep Purple fan magazine from 1989, there's, uh, they start talking in, in the, the fan magazines at the time about what's going on. They said there's, a, there's an article saying there's a vocalist wanted advertisements in Kerrang! and speculating it might be for Deep Purple. Um, uh, they, they said they had had these same ads and it ended up being for Brian Howe for Bad Company. So they thought they think this is a Deep Purple thing. Blackmore ended up playing on Howe's solo album. Um, and uh, it's dark, Darker Than Blue said uh, to be cringingly called Howd, Howd Business guaranteed, <laughs> guaranteed to hit bargain bins within weeks. <laughs> I Who said that? Simon Robinson. He just, he always, <laughs> he always puts these little like digs in there. He's just, uh. he, haven't even heard the album already, just trashing it. I love it. <laughs> Um, they also go <clears throat> go on to say Joe Lynn Turner's been on people's minds as a potential replacement. Ronnie Dio comes up as a as a potential replacement, and the Dio rumor interestingly came from Don Airy, who had been auditioning, hmm. uh, who had been who would seen Dio auditioning while he was working with Whitesnake at the time. So Don Airy's working with Coverdale. Here's a rumor that Dio's joining Deep Purple and kind of gets that rumor out there. Turns out to to be false. Um, other people hmm. that are mentioned is uh, Doug Pinnock from King's X. Um, which would have been really interesting. He's got a killer voice. He, yeah, he is a great vocalist. That would have been something. Unbelievable. And from a songwriting standpoint, that would have been really interesting. Um, and then word for, on MTV was that JLT, I don't know if Kurt Loder was reporting this at the time, but JLT had turned down the job. Um, Paul Rogers is rumored. He's always on the, he's always hanging around somewhere. Um, uh, they say that, Someone else had said there was rumor that he was he auditioned and was found lacking, but that seems very hard to believe given Blackmore's mm. years-long attempts at getting him in the band. Uh, Jimmy Barnes was rumored, Cal Swan from the band Lion, and Jamie Jameson from Survivor were also rumored, rumored to be uh, potential additions. Um, very, very interesting. Around that time, it would have been funny if they were like considering grunge singers. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Cornell or something. <laughs> well, I, would, I mean, uh, would it, it would have fit with their, I mean, like Chris Cornell is kind of a funny thing, but I mean, he's got a fantastic voice, uh, really, really great set of, set of pipes. And they were known to kind of go with unknown. So imagine if they got this like, like, hmm. like Chris Cornell would have been pretty much unknown in 1989, other than some small, like kind of local circles. So that would have been, that would have been really interesting. Eddie Vedder. Oh God, that 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 I couldn't stand for. <laughs> Chris Cornell, I think, would be interesting. Eddie Vedder. <laughs> I wish. No, I can't. I can't imagine that one. Um. So. Uh, so yeah. So Simon Robinson says that uh, seeing JLT do Deep Purple material made him think they'd really need to rework the set to make it work. Um. Uh, but he said that that was a possibility. So that's that's what was being reported at the time. Okay, so tensions arising between Deep Purple and, and Polygram Records. John Lord said they got the impression that Polygram uh, did not consider Deep Purple to be a current group, which, you know, at the time, we've talked about it before, you know, the, what is it, the Steel Wheelchairs Tour and stuff like that. They thought, like, these 40-year-olds and uh, maybe approaching 50-year-olds at this point were, like, laughable, and here it is mm. 40 years later and 30 years later, and they're still uh, out there doing it. Still rocking it, um, yeah. Which, which made sense, and in 1989, the hair metal thing was, was almost exhausting 
cost that a grunge was almost going to come in. So they were looking for new things and maybe didn't want to go backwards. Um, mm-hmm. So it was in, decided in 1989 they'd take a break from touring and focus on the new album. Lord said they had some completed tracks they were working on. Um, he said that they uh, they wanted to go in a more commercial direction, but Gillen wanted it to be something a little more quirky, which if you can see what Gillen was doing solo at that point, you can understand. Um, so they were reporting at this time that Gillen had quit, but the other people that were in the know said he hadn't. Um, Raymond D'Addario says, uh, you almost thought that Ian wanted to be kicked out. That's the impression I got, I guess, from the way he was acting. And Artie Hoare, mm-hmm. who is the uh, Richie's guitar tech, says, I was there when Ian got fired. We were in Vermont and Deep Purple was rehearsing. Richie and all the other band members, except for Roger, went home without telling Gillen that he was going to be replaced. I left with Rich, so I guess Roger told him he was out. That's kind of contradictory to what Roger Glover would say later, which is that they kind of told him in person. Um, but that's 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 his story. Um, well, either way, I'm still kind of surprised because um, I guess I never really knew the story, so I always thought that he left again. That he not that he was let go. Yeah, I had always heard he was fired, but I guess the the most of what I heard is he was fired and he was like drinking a lot, which I guess are both true, but maybe not like the direct cause for it um right uh and i'll get into roger glover's statements later because he kind of put, puts a whole different s- twist on it um uh blackmore had led the ousting of gillen uh but the rest of the band backed a decision so john lord says richie is like a terrier or a pit bull he gets a hold of something he won't let go um he had a version of what he wants he has a version of what he wants and he'll fight until he gets what he wants he's rarely wrong and if he's wrong he'll admit it with utmost graciousness until he's proven wrong he won't budge i love him the way he is. Um, and then Roger says in this Kerrang interview, uh, he says, sacking Ian Gillen was not personality clash. It was not about behavior. It was a decision taken by all of us in the band, however painful that was. And then he goes on to say that there was like a difference in songwriting. And that might've been with like the commercial direction versus the wanting to be, you know, quirky, weird to stand Gillen <laughs> sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gillen wanted to go in a different direction. He says, it's also painful to talk about because he's still a great friend and that dismissal was necessary. He concludes with, um, he says, in many ways, I miss him a lot. Don't worry, Raj, he'll be back. Spoilers. Uh, So there was this video shoot for MTV and John Lord uh, had said that Ian had uh, had left and said it had gotten as bad as it was the first time he left. Uh, and that caused uh, Bruce Payne to shake his head because he did this like on camera in front of everything. And the manager's like, oh, God, don't don't air our dirty laundry. So that kind of got out there that, you know, the band was not happy with Gillen. Um, so in, in Colin Hart's book, he writes that uh, Bruce Payne sided with whoever had the most power in the band. And at that moment, it was Richie. Uh, that would obviously change in the future. But he was he was like, Richie's got the most power, the most star power, the most whatever. We're going with him. Uh, so the remaining four uh, band members, like I said, they didn't have anyone particular in mind. They started auditioning all of these different people. Another person considered uh, uh, considered was Coverdale. They they taught there was talk about him reprising his role. White Snake was had 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 just released um, uh, Slip of the Tongue, but mm-hmm. things seemed to be like they talk about just kind of the turmoil in the White Snake camp with all the members just coming and going. Um, not that it was that much different than say rainbow, but, um, so that was possibly talked about. I don't know that it was definitely, uh, uh, 
I, I, I don't think there were additions or anything, but um, it's at this point that Richie met Candace uh, for the first time at a charity soccer match. So that relationship started to develop. Um, and then John, John Lord took a break and went to tour with Peter York and Tony Ashton in Germany, um, uh, considering that they, they were kind of on hiatus and didn't have a singer or anything. Um, so we talked about the singers, some of the singers that were auditioned. Um, so when Roger, Roger gets, uh, oh yeah. So Jimmy Jameson is one of them. He ended up doing the theme song for Baywatch <laughs> and Colin Hart in his book. He says, he's like, good for him. He made the right decision. He probably made more money off of that theme song than he ever would have in deep purple for one mm. album. Um, Roger says when he first heard about JLT, he was like, no way. Absolutely not. This is terrible. This is not a good idea. Um, and not be for any personal reasons or anything. He just didn't think it was the right move. Uh, but he ends up going up to Vermont. He jams with the, with the band and everything. And they're all say, okay, well, yeah, that, that worked out really well. So we'll change our mind. Um, so Jerry Bloom has this great issue of uh, number 32 of more black than purple, which is back there somewhere, but it's like a whole special with all of this information, interviews and everything about, uh, about this particular album he did like a series where he talked about some of the more div divisive albums and stuff in richie's in back catalog and this one obviously came up so um so so it's pretty mm -hmm. interesting lots of great stuff um and that's when he says uh, uh john lord and pace joining white snake uh you know, so sounded kind of the same. It didn't. It still sounded like White Snake. It still sounded like um, the White Snake group. It didn't sound like they came in and overtook things. So JLT coming in could could work in in this 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 group. I guess the difference that I would say is that JLT is doing songwriting and the singing, which is a little bit more has a little bit more impact on the music. Mm -hmm. Um, in a 1984 interview um, with Mick Wall, Blackmore goes on just gushing about Ian Gillen. He says. Um, I, he says, I feel that all, although Rainbow did some good stuff, it didn't ever have the identity that Purple has. Um, he says, Ian Gillen will come up with melodies and lyrics to things I've written, which I would never have thought of. That's the part of the chemistry and magic of Purple. Nobody has a voice like Ian Gillen's. You can't say the same about Journeys, Foreigners, Survivors, or Rainbow. Um, so, Joel Lynn Turner's standpoint, he shows up for the audition. They're recording at this... Uh, they're, re they're recording and auditioning. So Roger's recording on this 12 track. They're, they're up in Vermont and they do some some uh, some jams and said, as soon as Joe walked in, he says, Richie started playing Hey Joe. Uh, and then they started going into that. And Roger says that the, the recordings are amazing and he wants to release them one day. But he said that 30 mm. years ago. So it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, Joe, Joe Lynn Turner goes into interviews Um about Richie being the band leader um, and he, how he really sided with, with Richie. And it seems like they kind of, one of the things, I guess we'll talk about that next episode is kind of how the, this, this version of the lineup kind of fractured a little bit and, and got into two, two sort of groups. Um, he says, I can remember John saying love conquers all was shit and it wasn't a good song. And I said, if you play it right, I'm going to sing the hell out of it. And he's going to be a power ballad. So just shut the fuck up and get started. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so JLT and that's another interesting thing I think the only negative thing you'll ever hear about John Lord come from JLT interviews um, so mm. take that with a grain of salt <laughs> everyone else is yeah, like it's interesting. The, the, the eminent English gentleman the, the nicest man in the world the guy the gentleman 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 and like JLT is like ah he was lazy he didn't do much <laughs> like okay okay JLT tone it down uh. 
<laughs> uh, so the interesting thing is they get this big fight with Gillen that they don't want to record at a proper recording studio. So what do they do? They pack up shop in Stowe and they head to a proper recording studio um, in in um, in Florida, in Orlando, uh, to record Slaves and Masters. So um, thought that was kind of funny. And then as we'll get into the next episode, they also change up the set list, something Ian wanted to do. So um, this was the first time they were in a proper recording studio since Come Taste the Band. Um, they'd, they'd done these kind of like bringing <clears throat> mobile studios to like Vermont or whatever. And now, now they're back in like an actual proper studio, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then in an interview with, uh, from 1990, Metal Hammer uh, magazine, John Lord says um, about why they went with an established singer instead of somebody new. He says... Um, we're a band of a certain age and most singers got audition tapes for, were from 20 to 22 years old. And two things would have happened if we took a guy that age. One was it would look wrong. And two, the poor guy wouldn't stand a chance. He goes on to say that like young inexperienced singer would not be able to control the band from the front. So that's an interesting point to my earlier point I mentioned about bringing in say Chris Cornell is while JLT is a little younger than those guys, he's an established name and somebody who's not going to just kind of walk in. Like, can you imagine like being an unknown and just like, Hey, you're the lead singer of the Rolling Stones. Now that would be kind of a, a lot for anyone to carry. I mean, it was different when it was Coverdale and deep purple, because not only did he share and, and, you know, Hughes too, for that matter, even though he was a little established, but um, they were a lot younger. They were still mm -hmm. really a newer band at that point. They hadn't been around like for this long. So yeah, I mean, imagine, them at that point being, you know, that far into their career, like it, it makes sense because mm -hmm. I mean, you know, somebody could have argued, well, they took on Coverdale, but yeah, that's when they were all the yeah. same age. Yeah. John Lord was what, 30 or whatever at the time. So like taking on a 22 year old is not the craziest thing in the world. No, it would be if you're 50. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I hear about that sometimes with like, um, you know, you just talk to people at work too, that are like 18 and you're like, they're very nice and everything, but I can't, I can't relate to you. Like, as a, like, I, I doesn't like, I don't know what you, how you're like, they're talking about the things that's create the things they do. I'm like, what is, what is this life that you lead? And when you talk about people that are like, like relationships, like 50 year old going out with a 20 year old or whatever, like, I'm like, what do you talk about? <laughs> like, what can you possibly have in common? I mean, sex. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. But I mean, talk about, <laughs> that's a different kind of talking sex <laughs> you talk about sex hey you want to go have sex okay um <laughs> that's the end uh. so ian uh pace uh says and he, he doesn't don't have a ton of quotes from him from this from this period but he says the thing that's different is that joe has the ability to sing anything well and because of that it opens up more possibilities than there were before i mean uh ian was a great rock and roll singer david was a great blues singer but joe has the ability to do anything and everything so where there were certain limitations of what we could do before at the moment uh anything we can think of we can do so um i know jlt when i've seen press conferences of him before where he's doing the press conference about the new lineup and he's trashing malmstein already he's like he's like there's one of these guitar, I know he says something like one of these guitar players thinks he's a God and one of them is a God, <laughs> you know, cause he can't take a, he can't oh uh, miss an opportunity to take a shot at his former uh, boss, you know? Um, of course. 
And then JLT says, uh, before I joined, there were certain restrictions and conditions I felt had to be met. One of them was, I'm not going to come in and sing some other uh, some other band's drivel or someone else's drivel. You know, he's like, I'm going to sing my own stuff and write my own stuff. And I was like, man, that's pretty disrespectful to the back catalog, but okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, drivel, okay. (laughs) I'm not going to sing that drivel like like Highway Star. Or like child in time, child or, in time, you know, drivel, drivel, burn, oh, drivel, <laughs> absolute crap, um, <laughs> garbage. Okay, so we've got, <laughs> you know, the lineup: Roger Glover, Ian Pace, John Lord, Richie Blackmore, and JLT. So if if you're made it this far and you don't know the lineup at this point, I, I don't know how to help you. That, that's that's the lineup. We don't need to go into any more of, uh, of details than that. Additional part. Personnel, there was some orchestral stuff done by Jesse Levy, who would work with George Benson, Peggy Lee, Bette Midler, Barbara Cook, Carly Simon, Lou Rawls, Gloria Estefan, and did a bunch of film soundtracks, so... That's interesting. The album produced by Roger Glover, uh, assistant produced by Raymond Daddario again, um, engineered by Nick Blagona, who we've seen uh, previously as well as most recently in uh, Accidentally on Purpose. So the old teams together, and that leaves us with uh, one... Um, one last thing before we really get to the music, and that is the album cover. John, what do you think of the album cover for Slaves and Masters? Uh, it's, I mean, it's definitely, I don't know, it doesn't really evoke a lot of uh, uh, emotion from me or whatever. It's like every time I look at it, I'm always like, oh, it's like that deep purple album that I don't really know. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, like I always looked at it and thought it was kind of like goofy, you know, because it was like, you know, the two hands above the crystal ball. So I'm like, all right, this is kind of stupid. So I never really, <laughs> you know, thought about it, but looking at it, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, the uh, uh what is it the no uh, nobody's perfect i think mm, album mm-hmm. cover with all the weird shit on it <laughs> yeah just weird random stuff yeah yeah like the like i mean the i don't know like the truck that's also a, a nose or something and it turns into like down an on ear. the right and it's like an ear right or, it looks like yeah and like you know a, a guitar and like uh, some planets and eye. it just i don't know it, it looks like I don't know. It looks like kind of an art project or something like that. It's just, yeah. it almost looks kind of nondescript, I guess you can say. Um, in terms of an album cover, like it, it just looks like it's another one of those you'd, trying to be weird for weird's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that being said, is is that it is memorable because like the um, that kind of bluish and black color uh, kind of stand out uh, a little bit. Um, I didn't be just because like there's the, the blue glow from the, um, uh, the crystal ball is pretty, you know, defining. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, of course there's the, the deep purple logo, not the one inside, like the perfect strangers logo, but the one up top, which is just this kind of metallic silver again, you know, no discernible deep purple logo. It's just mm-hmm. kind of yeah, me- messing with the logo again. Yeah. Just, hey, just throw deep purple up there. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it's really, I guess I'm just kind of whatever about it. I don't think it's terrible, but it's not one of my favorite album covers. All right. I always really like this one. I don't know why. 
I don't know if it's the, the how colorful it is or whatever. But yeah, you've got the the weird kind of um, whimsical DP logo in the center. It's kind of like bendy. It's like it's like dancing or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you've got the, the hands over the crystal ball. It's kind of hovering over the base of the crystal ball that says Slaves and Masters. Um, there's a bunch of stuff you can't really like. I don't, it looks almost like a top hat with eyes or mm-hmm. something like a stovepipe hat at the top. There's like a guitar or something. There's something that looks like a Roomba. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> it looks like um, some pliers, a truck that turns into like the back of a head with an ear, which is weird. Some spheres, an eyeball, some records, steps, chess pieces, an hourglass. It's a, yeah, just like random stuff. I don't know why I always kind of thought it was cool, but um, it's it's not. Uh, it it's uh apparently the the concept or the cover the cover concept was by Roger Glover the art the art direction um the artwork was by Ralph Wormley Wormley um he did album covers for a bunch of people including Art Garfunkel and Cool Modi not not a not a lot that uh Art Art Garfunkel and Cool Modi have in common besides that. Uh, other mm-hmm. than the artwork. There's your connection. There's a connection to the Deep Purple. That means we can do a Cool Mo D episode, right? I'd be down for that. Uh, maybe. <laughs> John maybe might not. veto that. <laughs> uh, so that's the, um, yeah, that's the, that's the artwork. Uh, you've got the, uh, the record label there. Nothing crazy to talk about that. Um, then you've got the little insert that's got all the lyrics. Pretty standard stuff. Um, then you've got the little CD gatefold, which is my copy right here. When you open it up, you've got uh, Ian Gillen, sun's out, guns out, no sleeves. Um, Richie Blackmore doing his like weird mummy pose. JL, the co- contemplative JLT, kind of like thinking, the thinker sort of sort of look. Um, John Lord crossing his fingers and Roger Glover looking pretty sly on the on the right with a cool wristwatch and hat. Um, so yeah, everybody's in black. Uh, Pace is wearing a is that an Adidas vest? Looks like it's mm, Adidas. Maybe it does look like it. Yeah. Or I believe the Germans say Adidas. I always I always actually liked this gatefold. I remember that my cassette did have this gatefold. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that it was really neat. I would like, I would like, you know, fold it out and look at it because I'm always like, hey, this guy's from Deep Purple. And, um, <laughs> but I always thought that like, <laughs> but I mean, I always thought that like seeing them from the seventies, mostly that they still looked, pr- that my thing was they pretty, they look, still looked good. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, like they all still like look the same. Whereas like, you know, you look at them now and they're all like, oh, they you know, they look old because they are, but I mean, even <laughs> yeah. then you're just like, Oh, they're, they're old compared to what we were, but at the time, but it's like, Oh, they still kind of look like they always did. So I was always like, you know, I liked that. I, I always liked that kind of consistency. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, that was part of it for me because you didn't know anything else. You didn't have, you can just pull up a picture of Richie on your phone or something. There was, you know, <laughs> they, they, you couldn't do that. That didn't exist. Um, the other thing was, is that like, I don't know, I kind of thought was annoying was is how they put like soccer positions after their thing. I thought that was kind of dumb. Oh, yeah, I didn't really, well, I didn't even really, um, yeah, I didn't really notice that had to have been Richie's idea. Cause he was, he was all about like making them get out in the soccer field and play. 
Well, the the funny thing was though is is like if you look at everybody, they all have something except for John Lord. It's just like organ, keyboard, string arrangements, nothing else. He's, he's like, just I'm, like I don't play. He's like I'm not playing soccer, Richie. That's that's how you know John Lord is good because he's like he doesn't have to. And I think JLT talks about that in some of his interviews later too about how in Rainbow it was the difference being Richie was the boss, like he was 100 percent in charge, the boss, the manager, the everything. He was in charge of everything. Well, not necessarily the technical manager, but you know what I mean. Um, and in Deep Purple, it was like it was it was still a band. You know, Richie Richie would walk all over who Tony Carey or Dio or whoever was in. He 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 would power. He would just steamroll over anybody that didn't agree with what he wanted to do. But he can't do that with Glover, Lord, and Pace when he's in Deep Purple because they are like a collective. He might be the most powerful member. He might <clears throat> be the strongest songwriting component. But he's not. Um, he's not bowing to them. And, and you know, if, jo- if, if John Lord was Tony Carey or David Rosenthal or whoever, he'd be like, you're getting out there and playing soccer. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Um, right. But I mean, you know, you wouldn't be like John Lord, organ, keyboard, string arrangements, towel boy, you know, <laughs> like something like, I can see, like him in, see him in goal. He's I yeah, from right? what I know about football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you're our European listeners, you want to call it football because that's what it's supposed to be called. Um, and there's the back. You've got the kind of same picture of those guys at the top. And then the the kind of dark blue eerie light crystal ball with the hands hang, holding over it, which is actually in, in ways kind of cooler than the, the front cover. I was going to say that I really like. I mean, I, I did like the photo session. You know, I like how the members looked and I do like you know, the back cover and how this came out. Like, it's almost like I wish this would have been the front cover, you know, just the, the two hands, mm-hmm. the eclipse looking thing. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. maybe like slaves an and masters, slaves and masters, like inside of it in like the blue, you know, that that would have been kind of cool rather than all that weird shit that was going on on the front. I guess that would be my other thing is I don't, I guess I don't understand the title slaves and masters how it relates to the album and how it relates to the album cover it's kind of a cool name and it's a cool album cover but it doesn't seem like there's any real theme like uh, and maybe somebody's got an answer for what that's supposed to mean but it doesn't well you'd, I, you'd expect slaves and masters like like i i think of like uh skid row slave to the grind that sort of album cover mm-hmm. but for this one it, it doesn't jive at all with the artwork all right it's like slaves and masters crystal ball it's like i don't what? should become like wizards and demons or something or but i don't know if this referred this was referred to on this album or if i had heard it somewhere else so but it, it could be um relevant was is that slaves and masters is also um terms that are used in the studios like demos i think or are certain tracks referred to as slaves and the mm-hmm. finished product is referred to as a master so well, they have um, uh, in computers. I've heard that somewhere, but like I said, I don't know if it's in connection with this. Well, in recording and in, and with computers, there's slaves and masters, and that terminology is kind of like uh, not necessarily people don't love that terminology anymore. It's just kind of getting phased out um, mm-hmm. uh, just for the connotations of it. But like you would have like a slave a master hard drive and a slave hard drive and the slave is like connected to and dependent on that master being connected to it and the, go, the same yeah. thing is like i don't know if you can see it behind me but the 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 adat recorder um i mean if i move my microphone whoop. no i don't even know if you can see it but 
those would I, I believe those would have slave and master c- capabilities too where you you would slave one to a master recorder that master recorder controls the actual playing of both but the other one's dependent on it so maybe that's that could be that maybe that's what they, they were going for and maybe, maybe it's kind of like it's kind of like machine head it comes up in the studio oh that's kind of a cool term let's call the album that maybe they were you know, maybe they overheard the engineers being like should we slave this to master that and blah 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 and and they said oh that'd be a cool album title and didn't didn't go any further beyond that who knows you know who knows it anybody's guess uh so the photography was done by dd zill uh the legendary photographer uh so there you go and when anything else from this i think that's about it okay and with that um we are ready to actually after all of that guys ready to tackle some tracks <sighs> Whew. History, man. Oh, you ready? You ready to fall asleep? We just had big dinners, and we were, <laughs> just, we were talking about how, yeah, I, where we're we gonna make it. <laughs> I had a giant helping of the most garlicky Chinese food I've ever had in my life. Oh, I'm gonna just garlic bombed. <laughs> I just I went to a friend's house and like I I I didn't explain, but it was like um we had like um uh, like breaded chicken mac and cheese like craft mac and cheese like from the box mashed potatoes it was just like nice so heavy up. ice cream for dessert i'm like oh my god but also like my friends also have two kids so she's like you don't mind eating with the kids eat do you and i was like no this looks great and then afterwards i'm like oh, this is why i don't eat like this <laughs> that's why i'm not a kid <laughs> anymore <laughs> it's like a like a boulder in my stomach you know i'm like dragging my ass out of there like i gotta get home <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. If if uh, we get too delicious. tired, we better not get too tired. We'll be become the kings of dreams during this episode. Um, okay, so before we move on to the tracks, we have to do one thing, and that is, of course, thank our core level patrons coming in at the seven dollar and seventy seven cent keep it warm rat tier. We have Michael Vader at the episode six dollar sixty six cent tier. We have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, Anton Glaving, and Mike Catan. At the $6.65 almost evil tier, we have Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 nice price tier, we have Fielding Fowler, Robert Smith, and Peter from Illinois. And at the $5 moneylender tier, we have John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Will Porter, Zwopper the Electric Alchemist, and Tim Southern Cross Johnson. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous and continued support of the Deep Purple Podcast. We really appreciate it. Okay, that's it. We've talked about it. Slaves and Masters album begins with none other than the song King of Dreams. Here we go. Like the like panting Gregorian monk at the beginning. Synth sound is very 80s. Yeah. I love that. How Richie picks out those. The shadow in the night 
perfect stranger sounding chord. good you know pretty pretty like kind of even even tempered like kind of like low-key type of song like it doesn't really take off it's just this kind of mid-paced you know yeah. just keeping like a low slow burn type of thing and i could see that's why what might have turned some people off it doesn't have the edge that you generally associate with deep purple but it's very deep purple yeah. sounding like music wise well i mean obviously you know, with JLT and Richie, and immediately you're just like, oh, okay, I could close my eyes and think this is a rain- the new Rainbow album. Yep. Because, you know, that you could tell that JLT was put his own stamp on it because he sounds like him himself singing his own lines. Like he wasn't trying to come in and sing something that was written for Gillen. Right. But I kind of feel like the, when we were talking about House of Blue Light, how, um, either there's House of Blue Light or um, um, Perfect Strangers how like Ian Pace sounded very restrained yeah I think both of them and I mean I think yeah I mean the whole band just kind of sounds very you know just on point like all right, here's here's just like a song that I'm trying to show off or put out a ton of energy I could see the same song being rockified a little bit more like dent dent and dent dent and dang, like bringing in the the organ a little more than that synth. There's Richie with his kind of snake charmer melodies, and somebody's just futzing around with that tambourine in the background. It's just it sounded so like somebody tripped over it, and then they like, oh, maybe we should put it in the in the song. <laughs> I mean, from from my standpoint, like that little middle section was cool and it was atmospheric, but I could see how they could have rockified it a little and put in a proper guitar solo or an organ guitar switch off or whatever. Yeah. But there's a lot of really strong Deep Purple elements to the song. A really it's catchy, catchy chorus. Yeah, catchy hooky chorus. Ah, the unexpected follow-up chorus.
interesting album opener. John, what do you think of King of Dreams? Um, I'll give it a three. Um, I was thinking about a 3.5, but the more that I more that I thought about it, I'm gonna keep it kind of middle of the road-ish um with my rating for that. Um I mean I think the production is good, uh playing is good. Um uh, chorus is is hooky. JLT sounds great. Um it I don't know, to me it does it does sound like a rainbow song. Like I'm trying to get my head out of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we just came off like a um reviewing rainbow. I mean, yeah, um, I don't recently. think I don't think you would have had to just come off reviewing Rainbow. I think it sounds like a Rainbow right, song. Though. Right, it's pretty exactly it's pretty blatant. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you got you got um, Blackmore and Glover and JLT together, and it's it's really hard to to separate it. But I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna score a song or say it's bad or good based on that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the things that I didn't really um, like where it was it was like I said it was kind of a, a measured pace, which is good, but also not good. And, um, you know, there was kind of a meandering solo section, which kind of reminded me of like uh, the some stuff that they did on the the last Rainbow album, um, if you could remember. Yeah. Yep. Um, you remember they had a couple of solos like that. Um, I can't remember which songs, which were kind of just like that was weird. They just threw a few weird noises in there and then moved on. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you're expecting it to like kick in and then it doesn't happen. Right, exactly. And I mean, you know, every song doesn't have to be, um, you know, a, a guitar keyboard duel like a barn burner, just like, you know, kick the door open type of song. But, um, you know, it's could have used maybe more of a proper, you know, bridge or solo or breakdown or something like that. But, um, you know, that being said, not not a bad song, um, you know, decent opener, like you just said. Um, I am going to, after I fix the spreadsheet here, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it a three. I was, when the, when the song started out, I was, I was like, oh, four, I really dig this. And as it went on, I think it just lost points. So I give it a 3.5. I think there's, it has a ton of potential to have really gone into like a different direction. Um, but the way it starts and the dun, 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 and he brings that in, but he doesn't overdo it. He just does it like at the end of every mm. whatever stanza or whatever you want to call it. Um, and Good I think stuff. that works really cool. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it, it misses out by not having a, uh, any, any sort of real discernible solo. Just, it, it gives you this and, and you don't want to say pigeonhole deep purple and say they have to do follow a formula or have to do something. But at the same, uh, same time, uh, there is certain expectation. And when you have a big, long, empty spot in a deep, this isn't Pink Floyd. If there was a two and a half minute section in a song where like nothing happened except somebody hit a, you know, hit, hit one note on their, on their keyboard and a boom, boom, do something like that you'd be like oh it's pink floyd that's what you signed up for but with deep purple you expect a two minute gap in the music to be filled with something a little bit more interesting um right i mean that that was also it from maybe a um an arranging or a songwriting standpoint it wasn't that interesting just objectively mm -hmm. but great really good chorus really good hook there um I, i think if they had done something to jazz up that's that middle part and and kind of, I think I think that's the other part too. Is when it it goes through this chorus, it's really catchy, 
it takes a break to not really do anything and then goes back to the catchy chorus you're like okay cool the chorus is back but if they had gone through these cool solos you'd be like oh wow we're back to the chorus again you get, get the energy up a little bit it's super slick but it's also super soft and kind of almost mellow in a way that you know i, I just wish it had a little more edge to it i guess mm-hmm. all right I agree. with that said we're on to the next song another classic from this lineup the cut runs deep I like this opening because it really evokes like early Deep Purple. Almost sounds Wizard Convention-y. <laughs> Band. Sounds like Metallica. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is probably like one of the heaviest riffs that Richie has ever played. Mm-hmm. Heaviest sounding. And this is one of the songs on the album I really like. It's just really a full sounding song, too. Because, you know, the, the riff is just really chugging and heavy and John Lord is underneath there kind of giving it that fullness. And Roger Glover. And they bring back the intro and the bridge there, which is really yep. cool. See, that's what I'm talking about. Kind of gang vocals are a little... They're cool, but it's uh, very atypical for Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah, definitely something different. And, um, you know, Richie, after the cut runs deep, he does that that bend or that slide or whatever he does. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what technique he's using, but that's something you don't really hear him no. use to that, ef- to, I, it, to that effect very much. I think I missed it. Was it like a pick slide or? No, I, like I, I a, missed it. Like, I mean, like, a, no, like a slide. Like a slide. It's either he's using, guitar. yeah, either he's, yeah, he's using the slide or oh, okay. he's like hitting the note and he's bending up the whammy bar or, or something. It's right here. That's got to be a slide. That I might think. be a sl- that might be the slide. Yeah. Dirty deeds. <laughs> Classic Richie solo.
nice. Yeah, really cool breakdown at the end. One of the kind of tribal drums. Nice. See, now this is what you sign up for. Yep. And a pr- Classic a prop- sounding John Lord. And a Lord. proper organ at that. Yeah. No robots were driven insane in the production of this album recorded. <laughs> That's one of the things I like about that is he didn't try and do something trendy at the time. He's like, yeah. I'm going to do my classic John Lord Hammond sound. John Lord's still going. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I love that he's still soloing. It's so good. He's making up for lost time. Yeah, he's like, you... you sons of bitches haven't given me any solos in the last few albums I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna solo over the rest of the song I don't care what you say this is for the last two albums this is for White Snake this is for me man I'm just gonna keep playing until you tear my hands off the keyboard <laughs> they dragged him out of the studio <laughs> you picture him he's like this <laughs> he's just going like the, you see the tape just spinning in the machine it's been like the tape has run out like an hours ago the guy's just like pushing a broom through the studio he's like hey uh, when you leave can you turn the lights off <laughs> he's still, he's still <laughs> you wonder if you, you wonder like who didn't tell who like did 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 John like solo thinking he was gonna end the song and then he hears it and he's like ah they just started singing but they left my solo on or, or was it the other way around where they're like uh, they didn't know John was gonna keep soloing and like he kept going and JLT is like oh they left that solo in ah, John Lord he's lazy or whatever he wanted to say you know ah <laughs> uh. but yeah <laughs> what do you think about uh the cut runs deep <coughs> um i'm gonna give that one a 4.5 really really like this song mm. um always did i remember even back in the day liking it and that's because you know you 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 sucker me in with all the things that i like heavy heavy, heavy guitar rift gang vocals classic keyboard solo uh good production um i think it's just a really it's a heavy song and it's a really not it's a not typical heavy deep purple song because deep purple's gotten heavy i mean they've even bordered on like you know um you could even say early thrash as far back as in rock you Mm know um but this was i don't know this was kind of like really different for them and i enjoyed it um so yeah it's a good song is a good song. Plus, I mean, um, you know, the Richie and the John Lord solos are what I would consider classic solos by them. Like, um, you know that that's them playing. Yep. 
and, and, you know, and they're good. They're solid. You know, it, it's nothing like, uh, I think, memorable or anything, but it's stuff that you could rock out to and be like, yeah, this is this is great for this song. So, yeah, it's like it's the it's it's super um, standard solos from both of them in, in the best possible way. Just just John Lord doing what he does, Richie doing what he does and just having it sound great. Um, I will give this one a four. I really like it. I think it's just the cut runs deep, you know. It sounded, it just, to me, I, every time I heard it, I, I just heard done dirt cheap every, every time. Like it was the same thing. <laughs> you're, um, you're not wrong. No, we never noticed that. Which is, which is fine. Um, but to me, it just, it, it was a little borderline cheesy, almost like that, that, that gang vocal, but I really love the arrangement of the song. The recording's great. Everyone sounds good. The playing's amazing. Great vocals. Um, just, yeah, yeah. Really, really fun, fun song. And love hearing uh, John Lord just bust loose there too. Um, so something a little different I got to do right here is I forgot to kind of mention uh, one thing about King of Dreams and then one thing that I had on uh, this song. So going back, rewinding a little bit to King of Dreams, Glover says in his interview in Kerrang! Magazine, he says, uh, King of Dreams is a perfect case point. That came out of a couple of days of frustration. The atmosphere in the studio was like pea soup. Everyone was really down in the mouth. Then Richie just started playing a completely different riff. He only played it once because when we when we'd done it, I said, that's really good. Let's work on it. But Richie wouldn't. <laughs> Classic. Oh, Richie refused. Uh. Um, we came back to it a couple of weeks later, did some overdubs. I got Joe in to work on a set of lyrics I'd got. Then by the time the band came in, we had a song. It's not perfect by any means. We tried to improve it, uh, but it wouldn't be improved. It just lived the way it lived. And then um, about the cut runs deep in, in Black Knight. Um, Joe Lauren Turner says in an interview that John Lord started playing the keyboard intro in his audition in Vermont and Turner started singing the vocal. Uh, what about the heartache? What about the emptiness inside? So that came out of that initial uh, audition, uh, which is kind of cool. All right. This brings us to our next song. And that song is called Fire in the Basement. I hope that doesn't happen to me because that's where I am. <laughs> Almost very, ring that neck. <laughs> yeah, very early deep purple again. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> Nate almost dropped everything everywhere. I did drop a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> This is a very like familiar sound yeah. to it. I mean the 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 verses make me think a lot of lazy. Yeah. So you kind of have a ring your ring that neck lazy connection there. I spilled uh, my beer all over the oh, studio Jesus. desk, so I'm cleaning it up with an old pair of socks I had. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. Don't mind everybody. Don't mind Nate, everybody. Show must go on. Yeah, it definitely has that that bebopping sort of yeah. groove and bassline that um that Lazy has. Yeah, there's definitely like you know we're talking about what you expect from Deep Purple, and I mean this is uh this is a really good kind of callback. 
to what they were really good at in the early days. And you wonder if that sort of thing is done intentionally, like, hey, let's do something reminiscent of that or if it just kind of happens. And that little ring that neck thing is too much. That's great. Great little Richie rapid picking there. Yep. Yeah, this is a really great classic Richie solo. My mouse pad is very wet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> could have stopped. 150 episodes, I've never spilled a drink. Oh, man. Until now. I feel like we're making up for lost time with these last two uh, John Lord solos. No, seriously, though. I mean, this sounds like they went back like 20 years from this point. And I mean, they're just playing just good classic music. A little sneaky little breakdown here. Just like the, the noodling that Richie's doing in the back. Those like little clickety clacks on the drumsticks. Yep, Roger's holding it down. Ooh, a little modulation yep. up. Deep Purple yep. doesn't often do that. Bit. I could have done without that. <laughs> it's also it also just so cheesy. It doesn't make any sense because it's like there's a fire in the basement. And you want somebody to put it out, but you're asking for a match. Yeah, it's just like got a fire extinguisher. Yeah, <laughs> you got a hose. <laughs> it's just like around that time. It's like stuff like you know the talking in the songs like you know like um that's like something you'd start girls, from like girls. a warrant a warrant song or something you know yeah <laughs> like Jenny hey, Lane. Tommy, hey. check that out man yeah, exactly <laughs> you know or um who, who else did that um didn't guns and roses do that what's With, so civil um, about war anyway <laughs> that <laughs> no i mean yeah they did that but i mean there was there was something else or just like 
I don't know. Just like when people throw in silly shit like that, it's just so cheesy. Yeah, it was, it's very of the time. Like, yeah, hey, you got to, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. You know, you'll say, hey, got a match. You're like, hey, got some baking soda. Hey, got a, got a match. Could you please put it away? Because I don't want this fire to get any worse. I'm trying to put you got it some out. Flame retardant. <laughs> I'm trying to put out this fire in my basement, if you know what I'm saying. Only Ooh. you can put it out. Oh, I didn't. Well, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Not, not. So, it's very. Well, it's because the innuendo is so subtle. <laughs> Well, it was so subtle that I didn't think about it until you like you pointed downward like this. There's a fire in my basement, and I mean my crotch. <laughs> well, did your beer put it out? Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> fire in my basement. No, just some, just some wet pantaloons. Luckily, it didn't land on my basement, or the rest of this episode would be very uncomfortable to record. Oh, my man. basement is dry as can be. So is everything cleaned up? Both figuratively and literally. Uh, it's for the most part. I'm going to have to do a little, a little work after the show, but it's cleaned up well enough to get through the next little bit. Um, okay. So <laughs> what do you think of Fire in the Basement? Okay, so um, I'm giving this one 4.5 as well. I think Whoa. this is great. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is my other favorite song on here, the one that's most memorable to me because it's like just – Classic Deep Purple. It's like they decided to step back in time and be like, all right, like, this is what we're good at. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do a, you know, who knows if it's, if it was intentional that they kind of called back to ring that neck or lazy. Um, but it was just kind of this straight ahead production, this really catchy type of song and in, in the, the spirit of those songs. And, um, uh, JLT sang it well and you know it, it had a cool vibe to it and it had a great you know uh, Richie solo another great John Lord solo no crazy of the time effects or them trying to just do anything other than be who they who we want them to be what we wanted from this album uh, or from a song from them yeah um yeah, it's good. I think <clears throat> I think I will give this one another four. Um, interestingly, something it has in common with the cut runs deep is they were both credited to um, all five members. So mm. the fir- most of the tracks on the album are Blackmore, Turner, Glover, but Cut Runs Deep and Fire in the Basement was all five of them. So you can tell is that really tight jam going together. That's probably how the mm. how this song had its kind of genesis. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good, exciting song. Cool solos, really just interesting. It's great to hear John really coming back to into his own. I wonder if that was something that he brought up or if something that they'd uh, gotten feedback about or just something that they wanted to do because like we talked about before on, on Perfect Strangers and House of Blue Light, John Lord was very much kind of felt like he was being pushed to the back. So that's one area mm. where they I feel like they really brought back the more classic purple sound, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Um, okay, well, that leads us to the final track that we're going to do in this episode before we uh, get into part two next week. And that one is called The Truth Hurts. Or just Truth Hurts, sorry.
interesting that they had that weird intro. It's not really associated with this part. It kind of fades off into the background. Mm-hmm. Somebody jingling their keys in their pocket. sound it does it sounds like keys i mean so far right now nothing nothing's really jumping out at me in the song or that percussion thing that's bugging me um no in the in the song it's just kind of very it's just kind of just chugging along it's a little bland i feel i mean especially after the last two yeah But you kind of have that dun 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 going on. Very 80s purple. Solo sounds like something off of like Mark III purple so far. Reminds me of like one of the slower numbers on like Stormbringer or something. Hmm. Just a solo. that's kind of missing since the reunion is it seems like a lot more often in the older days they would do the solo section wouldn't just be playing a solo over the verse it would be a whole separate section yeah 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 and not saying that they had to stick to that formula but I always thought that was a cool thing that they did yeah, made things a little more interesting, yeah. It sounds like maybe that key sound is just somebody very gently shaking a tambourine. Somebody somebody with very little wrist strength. See, because now they're really shaking it, but... I find it, it's like so low, it's almost distracting in the mix. kind of got 
Stargazer or something off a rising vibes from that last little section there. Something that would have led into yeah, a solo yeah, or something. You know what? Yes. Mm-hmm. That thing I think that is a Roomba on the album cover is actually a tambourine, futuristic tambourine. I don't think Roombas were around in the <laughs> early 90s. No, I'm pretty sure they weren't. <laughs> Two thirds. Uh, he did it again. Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna like whisper it. Hey, somebody get me a match. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be funny if he did that and they're like, Cut. Wrong song, Wrong Joe. song. This one's about... Oh, sorry. Two-thirds. Wrong song, JLT. That would be funny if they called him JLT. Hey, JLT, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> Although, I'm reading, like, uh, some of the interviews, like the interview in Kerrang! and stuff, like, they're, they're they're calling him JLT, so it's it definitely dates back that... I mean, I remember him being JLTs for as long as I can remember, but it's funny reading something from 1990, and they're like, oh, JLT. I was like, oh, I guess he's always been kind of JLT. But I feel like that would be, like... You know, funnier if somebody like talk to him like that. It's like, hey, how you doing, JLT? And he's like, yeah, fine. How are you? <laughs> it's like if they referred to him to a, to him like that. Yeah, that would be a little weird. But it's like it's. It, I always thought it was more of a, a more recent invention, like yeah. NPH. Like they weren't in the Doogie Howser days. They weren't like NPH. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. But anyway, the truth hurts, John. What do you what do you rank this one? Um, well, I'm going to have to be a little harsh on this one. The truth hurts. It's a 2.5. The truth. Thinking about, I was thinking about giving it a three, but, um, you know, thinking like, all right, listening to Richie solo. And I'm like, even though it was well-recorded, pretty decent Richie solo, not very memorable. Um, not bad either, but it's like, um, I just think the whole song was just kind of, um, it was filler. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've encountered our first filler here. Plus the fact that it's just like, um, it was one of those songs. It was a dun, 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 dun. It's, it was just very like, mm-hmm. it sounded almost like something that I would have tried to write and be like, eh, you know, <laughs> not <more>. good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, that kind of thing I didn't like because it's sometimes simplistic is good, but I think that kind of simplistic, it kind of, it bordered on it, it, like I said, reminding me of something that I wrote once and was just like, this isn't good enough. Yep. And for good reason. Yeah. I mean, the truth does hurt. I will give it a 2.5 as well. It's our first uh, track that we are in hundred percent agreement on. I think, uh, yeah, it just I think when you've got musicians of this caliber, you can take any idea, no matter how thin it is and make it into a song and, and, you know, have a great guitar solo and have some amazing vocals and all the playing is obviously great. But it, but yet but yet it's still just kind of plotting. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's it's just to me like a little below average and not it, it, it could have been something more. You had that weird intro, which is kind of cool. I like that it was a weird intro, but it doesn't tie in anything in the song and i hate to keep bringing it up but that weird limp fist 
the tambourine was just like it just you hear it kind of you weren't hearing at the and then at the end it just starts tambourine everywhere which is it, it doesn't really feel like a tambourine song but I but mm-hmm. I think it was just that little like tinkling of the tambourine it was it was like you know what it sounded like it's not like somebody was holding the tambourine through the whole track waiting to play it and was occasionally like moving around or scratching themselves or giving themselves a scratch or something and so you hear this like light little movements of it but it was never uh-huh. like boom like if you're gonna play the tambourine you gotta play it you gotta hit yeah. the rhythms and it just sounded like yeah, like i said keys rattling around in somebody's pocket it just sounded at, at first sometimes you know I, I hear stuff through the mic and i'm like oh that's me or or that's the kids upstairs yelling and you can't really tell and i was almost like do i have my keys in my pocket what's going on <laughs> um, yeah so that's uh that's my thought on um, the truth hurts anyway so there you have it folks that is our um that is our first part of the album uh, the first four songs, and we will, of course, be uh, joining you next week uh, to go over the final five and then get into the reviews, the reception of the album and some other exciting stuff. So um, if you're uh, if you're interested in finding out the rest, you'll have to check out that episode. But before we sign off, we have to do one final act of business. And what is that, John? We have to thank the foundation level patrons that is right as we always do at this time coming in at the three dollar and 33 cent halfway to evil tier we have raf calf at the three dollar nobody's perfect tier we have peter gardo ian derosier mark roback duncan leesk Stuart mccord flight of the rat bat blue light ivan field boo and of course our newest patron Hey, Ronar Simonson. A two for one, a baby. Two for baby, the Norwegian two for Ivan. I'm sorry, Ivan and Runar. Thank you so much to both of you. Um, at the one dollar <laughs> made up named here, we have the slave to the drip, Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Spike the Rock Cat, JJ Stenard, Hank the Tank. Private Eyes and Ashen Lionel. Thank you so much for all of your generous, generous support to the Deep Purple podcast. Um, if you are looking for more information about this album or the many links to the many books that we used to prepare for it, then check out our show notes, deeppurplepodcast.com, where you can check out oh, all these books minus the Mickey Booty book. Um, <laughs> who didn't use that one? Um, and then there's also some great uh, big thanks to uh, Jeff Bryce who sent uh, some stuff from his archives, stuff from Darker Than Blue, um, some some of the old fan magazines from the late 80s, early 90s uh, when this album came out covering that. So got some great, great insights from those interviews. Really appreciate it. All right. And with that... We will see you next week when we cover the second half of this album. John, have a fantastic evening, and I'll see you next week. All right, you too. Pa, pa, pa. Ah, later. I don't know what that was. (laughs) (laughs) Pa, pa. Pa, pa. See you later. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. 
Thank you for listening. It's a great, well, I mean, why would they? It's a, you're saying it's a great life if they're Norwegian. They're probably like, fuck yeah. <laughs>